Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Dennis Welch, founder of The Endurance Project. Dennis and I had a really good conversation, primarily focusing on the injured runner. Why injuries happen, what we can do about them, and especially focusing on those things that we often overlook or neglect as contributors to our injuries. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Dennis, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Great. You? Doing great. I can't complain. It's beautiful here in Arizona right now, so I'll, I'll oh, take it. <laughs> lucky you. Yeah, it's cold and nasty here in Rhode Island, but uh, hopefully it'll get warmer this week. Very nice. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. I talked to one of your um, coaches and athletes recently and um, was very intrigued by what you are doing with the Endurance Project. So I would, I just, I'm really excited to talk to you about how you got into that and um, really dive into the injury prevention side of things um, once we get going. But first and foremost, who are you and what is the Endurance Project? How did that get started? Yeah, so Dennis Welch, I mean, most people, I uh, think, kind of recognize me now around OCR and stuff as the Endurance Project, um, which is a group I started several years ago when I lived in Virginia. Um, and it was essentially, I was part of a running group down there, but it was basically a running group that had been established and started by, you know, somebody just trying to get, you know, run their first marathon. They didn't really come from a running background. Um, but the group was pretty good size. You know, it was over a thousand members at its the height of its, uh, you know, success there several years back. And when I joined the group, most of the runners were recreational runners and hadn't, you know, come from a running background. So um, because I'd came from a running background, I always kind of enjoyed the coaching aspect. I started working with some directly to help them improve their running performance for like half marathons, marathons, whatever. And, um, it just kind of took off from there. And, you know, I started out with a handful of athletes and then, you know, at the time the group that I was running with, it was called Hampton Roads Runners down there in um, Hampton Roads, Virginia, um, the Norfolk, Virginia beach area. And once I started working with several athletes and they started having success. Um, and then of course I was running and training and doing well myself. And um, from there, I just started coaching more and more and it kind of ballooned from there. And, you know, now we're over a hundred. I mean, at the time I was doing it just, uh, in person, you know, with the athletes that I was training with and running with every day. But then I started getting more involved in the OCR world and people started reaching out to me online. And so then I officially started the Endurance Project uh, about seven years ago, I guess now. And it's just kind of taken off from there. Um, I kind of work with all different athletes, but I'd say a good majority are in the OCR world now. And that's pretty much it. That's kind of, I guess, the short story of how it started. Very cool. Um, when you started working with these athletes, was it more from because they were injured or more because they wanted to improve their running? What did that look like? Yeah, it was kind of both. I mean, you know, some of it was people just wanting to get better at running, whatever that, you know, was improving their times or you know, just getting more efficient at running. And like I said, because a lot of them didn't necessarily come from a running background, 
you know, they just kind of dove into it head first, you know, racking up a lot of miles and just putting on, you know, more and more miles each week or as much as they could. And a lot of them were getting injured or when I started working with them were, you know, navigating injuries back and forth, you know, the the yo-yo effect where they would get an injury and then maybe take some time off for a little bit, let it recover somewhat and then go right back and do the same thing that got them injured before without correcting the actual problem. And it kept going back and forth like that. So I started basically getting everybody involved more than like the ones that was working with me. We got into more like strength programming and doing other non-running cross training and stuff so that they can maintain fitness, but also work on, you know, work through injuries or correct injuries. Um, And then, like I said, I became a member down there. There was a functional fitness gym down there that I worked closely with um, that was operated by an ex Navy SEAL. And uh, he basically brought in different types of uh, coaches that were specialists, you know, and he brought me in to kind of help with the running aspect and OCR aspect. And um, from there, it was just kind of, basically taking these runners who'd done nothing but run their whole life or, you know, that's all they were doing and weren't taking the time out for injury prevention to really realize that it's a big component and not just improving running, but staying healthy enough to continue running, you know? What, in your opinion, what's the kind of primary cause or causes of most running injuries, especially these chronic um, cyclical things that we get into? Well, obviously that, you know, you normally hear the the term overuse injury, which is kind of true. I mean, because sometimes people uh, just crank out a lot more volume than their body has basically been built to tolerate. Um, And I would say that all overuse injuries for the most part stem from just a weakness of some point. And usually it stems around having a very weak core, which, you know, usually translates to weak hips or, you know, imbalances somewhere and you know especially when a runner or an athlete goes from not being a runner or not being um, involved in the endurance world and then all of a sudden you know maybe they're in their mid-40s and they decide they want to get in shape so they sign up for a marathon um, but they haven't basically they haven't put in all the structural work to get their body resilient enough and strong enough to tolerate that kind of Um, volume and they just jump right into a marathon program and before long they're injured so I think it always stems back to um, in my opinion from what I've seen over the years is a a very weak core and a very weak foundation Um, you know from a strength standpoint imbalances and then they just pile on all the training without fixing the underlying problem Um, you know it's kind of like building a house on a weak foundation and something's going to break you know something's going to give Um, And I'm sure, you know, with your job, you know, being a PT, like you see that firsthand, you know, and you could probably pinpoint that as well. That It usually comes down to having some sort of weakness or um, strength imbalance or just not enough strength to be able to allow you to do the type of training necessary to complete a marathon program or OCR program without getting injured over and over. Yeah, absolutely. That strength is such an important element that is very missed in a lot of runners, um, especially distance runners. So when you get your hands on someone and you really start working on with them, um, virtually or in person, I'm curious cause so many runners just want to, you know, they may do the strength program, but they want to, in their heads, they think they need to run every day, 
when you're getting them onto a better program that is going to limit their injuries, how often are you having them run during the week? Um, it depends what the injury is and, uh, you know, how severe it is. But, um, you know, typically I would start, you know, even – and that's a big thing too is a lot of athletes will come to me for coaching. And at first they're kind of like, well, you're reducing my, you know, running by a lot. How am I going to stay in shape? Or how am I supposed to get better if I'm cutting my mileage? Um, but, you know, I, I put a lot of emphasis on cross training and other modalities to improve like the aerobic capacity and everything that you want to develop, you know, your VO2 max, things like that that you want to develop to obviously become a better runner, but you don't have to always be running to do that. Like there's a lot of ways that you can improve those same areas that you want in order to be a better runner without necessarily just putting in miles and miles of running. You know, for instance, uh, I'm a big proponent of the tire pulling and it is exactly what it sounds like, you know, using a a harness that you wear um, that's attached to a tire that you just, pull like drag like at a you know say a fast walk or a power hike um and it starts correcting a lot of these imbalances and strength issues and it allows for greater hip extension for instance which is what you would want to improve as a runner um improves power to ground so your ground reaction force is better and it allows you to basically start cleaning up your mechanics without all the pounding of running because you know as you know the more an athlete weighs, the more impact forces and just an average runner, you know, even a good fluid runner who is a lightweight runner is, you know, hitting the ground with impact forces of three times their body weight, you know? So for a 150 pound runner, that's 450 pounds of force every time, you know, they're hitting their foot on the ground. And of course that reverberates all the way up to the body and the joints get impacted and, everything else up the chain and you know you can obviously see from that right there that it's kind of a recipe for disaster if you if your body can't handle it if you're not structurally sound to be able to handle all that pounding then something's going to give and it's usually going to be the weak link you know an achilles or um, a calf or you know whatever it is you know yeah absolutely that the forces that come through the body are are so elevated, I guess, when we're running and especially when we're running inappropriately with poor mechanics, which you started getting into when you were talking about pulling the tire and improving those mechanics. Um, obviously we can improve some of those mechanics strength wise, especially when we strengthen that core and the hips. What else are you doing in order to address those mechanics and get someone so they're running with decreased forces through their legs? Because ultimately we can decrease those forces with run, proper running technique. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, so obviously you see a lot of talk about, you know, foot strike and, um, obviously landing on your heel is bad. Um, you know, some say it maybe isn't, but you know, from what I've seen, it is just from the standpoint, it's a lot of breaking forces. So what happens is a lot of runners, if you're not running with, you know, good form, like obviously once your foot hits, like, uh, you know, you want to hit with the, least amount of impact obviously but then it's you know the push off is what you know when you actually plant your foot on the ground and then push off you want that to be all one motion without slowing down momentum at all and what happens is when a runner you know tends to heel strike they're basically stopping their self I mean it's only you know you'd have to slow it down obviously see it but when they do that they're they're essentially breaking for that split second and all that force generated through you know, those joints and specifically like the, the lower, um, you know, limbs. And then they have to basically get over that point to start the next, 
part of the gate cycle to, you know, propel them forward. But if you can cut that out and basically take that part out where they're not having to do that. So the minute that their foot hits the ground, they're using the elastic, you know, the elastic recoil in their muscles and their tendons to propel them forward. Um, so I do a lot of, I try to get runners to clean up their form, like say with a jump rope, you know, get efficient with the jump rope and then actually turn static stationary jump roping into jump rope running so that they're basically planning their foot the way they need to everything, you know, the right knee bend, the right hip drive, the, you know, knee lift and extension. Because if you've ever done that, if you've ever done jump, jump rope running, you can't really do it wrong without falling on your face. So, you know, it, it basically forces you to, to get very good at, uh, basically correcting your form, um, without falling down or falling on your face. And you do that enough and it starts kind of overriding, um, the neuromuscular patterning, patterning in the, uh, you know, body so that eventually you don't have to think about it. It just becomes intuitive and you're doing it naturally. Um, and it'll start cutting down on the impact forces. And then it, of course, will clean up the mechanics to the point where you aren't overstressing a certain area more than the other, because obviously everything works together when you're doing anything really in the, you know, with movement, but specifically running all the muscles, all the tendons, they all work together. So if one of those are having to do extra work, then it's only going to be a matter of time before it eventually says, Hey, you know, like you're overstressing me here and it's going to, something's going to happen, a tendon's going to pop, or you're going to have knee issues, or, you know, whatever the case. We're talking about that carryover effect to, from a drill, especially the uh, um, jump rope running, because that is such a good one for cleaning up that technique, um, to getting that body learning to what to do. How long are you typically seeing that it takes to get that full carryover? Obviously, we start noticing improvements, but to have it kind of really ingrained and not have some have to have someone think about it or lose it while they're running, especially under fatigue. Like what's that time frame that you're finding? It's hard to put a, a, a specific time frame on it just because everybody's a little bit different. And again, it's all, it, it depends how bad they were, you know? So um, it's kind of like coming across, you know, maybe a brand new car that got put in a garage 40 years ago. It has no mileage on it necessarily, but, it's going to need some work to get it back to, you know, running like a new car again. So it's kind of the same thing with the person where, you know, how much damage have they done? How many issues do they have? You know I mean? You may only need to clean up one or two things where some people have so much going on that it's gradually peeling away one layer at a time until you kind of get them all addressed. And I don't, I don't like to just jump in and just say, well, just fix this. Like, you know, that you'll hear people say, well, yeah, if you just speed up your cadence, you know, you have a low cadence at 160 steps a minute. Well, we want it like 180 or, or greater. You hear that a lot with running coaches. But the problem is, is if you just tell a runner to do that, in order to do that, they just shorten their stride. They don't really fix anything necessarily. You know what I mean, so um, I, I, I typically I would say, I guess if I had to put a number on it, it's definitely usually over, you know, greater than three months, you know, and probably closer to six months, assuming they're, really consistent with things like the jump rope running or doing the tire pulling. Um, I also do, I, for the athletes that can do it, I try to get them to do water running um, where you're in, you know, you can either do it in the deep end, like you see the aqua jogging where you don't touch the bottom, you have a belt, but I actually like to do it where you're like kind of waist deep, um, maybe navel deep. 
where you can touch and because what what it does is the resistance in the water is enough that it doesn't allow you to have sloppy form and you can't overstride in the water you know it's the same almost like with the jump rope you can't overstride you have to actually run and mimic the exact way you would try to run when you're actually running with clean form and the water there's enough resistance there that allows you to start gradually correcting that and what it does is it starts making the muscles forcing the muscles to work the way they're supposed to and corrects some imbalances at the same time um, because it's hard to do wrong. If you do, you don't really move forward very well. You know what I mean? So um, it definitely takes several months and uh, it's a lot on the athlete. You know, how much are they, time are they willing to dedicate to it? You know, it's just like with stretching and mobility, it's usually the stuff that the athlete doesn't want to do because it's not flashy and it's not sexy. But um, if you really are serious about, fixing it then you have to devote as much time to that as you would running itself you know yeah and that's the biggest thing I wanted to you know really point out is more not necessarily the specific time frame but the fact that it takes three to six months to get this transition to happen so it's not something that you know we're all impatient in this world and we want to be better yesterday and improving this technique isn't something that's going to happen overnight or in a couple weeks or a month that it just takes a long time to retrain the body. So, um, that's, that was a big thing I wanted to get people to understand what that is. It just takes that time and that time commitment, especially to those drills. Oh, for sure. And I mean, a lot of it too, like I was saying, you know, earlier, like the core and stuff, but there's also a lot of issues stem around, you know, the ankle and the feet, you know, the big toe and stuff. And you see a lot of um, athletes and that actually I used to have Achilles problems a lot myself and I actually ended up being um, on the one foot that I was having issues with I had almost no uh, range of motion with my big toe like the one side I could lift it up you know almost 90 degrees um, and the other side I could barely like you know even if I forced it with my finger it hardly wanted to move so that alone unlocked a lot of issues and um you know, cleaned up a lot of issues and I never had any more Achilles issues after that. Once I actually worked on that and got it mobile and got the range of motion to match the other side, you know, so it had symmetry. Um, and the ankle move, you know, a lot of people have really stiff and tight ankles, whether it be from sprains or breaks or just, you know, the muscles not getting used as much. Um, and once you can start cleaning that up and start increasing range of motion in the ankles, then everything up the chain kind of tends to improve too. Yeah, the ankles are such I, – I love the foot and ankle area. I focus on it a lot with people, partially because it is such a neglected area with people. Um, you know, we, we see so many injuries in that area, but for whatever reason, when we start working on addressing issues in that area, it's like that mobility factor is kind of just left out of it and forgotten. So, um, But, yeah, it plays such a huge role in, in what's going on with our running and injuries. Well, yeah, for sure. And, you know, and that's the thing is everybody, they train the things that they, and it's not that it's won't help, but like, for instance, if someone goes to the gym, you know, their typical thing is, is, you know, getting in the squat rack or, you know, deadlifting and they want to improve all that. And, you know, they keep putting more weight on the bar and they get stronger. But then a lot of times when, you know, there's no progress being made anymore, many times you see it like with the, a deadlift or a squat that's stalling somewhere it's actually not a strength issue so much. It's usually like mobility in the ankle. So if you can fix that, I mean, it's not uncommon to see someone add 40, 50 pounds onto a lift pretty quickly just by addressing that. 
Um, so running is really no different. So um, again, I think a lot of times people neglect all the little things um, because one, they want results fast, but two, it's just not even something they think of. Cause like who really even looks at the mobility of their big toe? You know I mean? No one really, most people don't really know or care. Um, most people, unless it's causing pain, they don't think about ankle mobility, you know, or range of motion. So um, until someone points that out to them or they see it's a problem, they're never going to know to fix it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Especially the big toe. Um, every time I work with someone and bring it up, they're like, you know, it's kind of the crazy eyes. Like, what are you talking about? Why does this matter? And it's just, I don't think people realize how important that big toe actually is in our function. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, you figure the whole rest of the body is like, mainly sits around you know those small little ancillary muscles and those are the ones and the joints that take the most beating especially with running um so it really doesn't matter how strong your hamstrings and your glutes and everything are if one little muscle in your foot or your ankle isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing you know yeah definitely switching directions a little bit but still focusing on something that is often neglected and overlooked i know you do a ton when it comes to or a ton of education when it comes to nutrition and making sure people are well fueled because of how that can contribute to injuries so i would love you to talk uh, to have you talk about that yeah i mean it's you know i've always uh felt that nutrition was just as important as the training, if not more so. I mean, because one, it allows you to be able to fuel yourself to put in the training, um, but more importantly, allows you to recover um, in order to be consistent um, with the training as well as be able to put in more frequency or more volume, uh, more intensity. And I think where a lot of people go wrong is everything, you know, we've been taught over the years, it's always about, uh, you know, it's calories, 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 you know, and, um, everybody focuses, I think, so much on the calorie aspect. And this is really, really bad with women that it's all about calories rather than what is the quality and the type of calories, one, but two, you know, the nutrient density in foods or, you know, what exactly, you know, you're putting in your body, like phytonutrients, but, you know, amino acids, things like that. And you'll all, you know, often see, you know, this with women, obviously, because it's usually just a body image thing or losing weight or um, coaches always will, you know, a lot of coaches will say, well, you need to lose weight. If you lose weight, you'll run faster, which is true to a degree because obviously, you know, the, the least amount of like useless weight that you have on you, you physics say that you can move faster, right? But if you're always injured, um, it really does you no good to be small if you're constantly being injured. And that's in order to get you know, lose weight, most athletes are going to do it the wrong way. You know, if you tell a female athlete, Hey, you need to lose 10 pounds. She's not going to do it the right way. She's going to do it by starving herself and cutting her calories, you know, in half. Um, and she might lose that 10 pounds and her times might improve, you know, running for a little bit, but then all of a sudden she has a stress fracture or multiple stress fractures. Um, you know, because obviously she's reduced her iron intake and, um, calcium intake and her joints are, you know, her bones are weakening and it, it just becomes a never ending process. That's very hard for athletes to escape and get away from. So for me, um, you know, I think obviously having, you know, a solid nutrition, um, program helps a lot and keeping the athlete healthy, obviously, but allowing them to continue training, um, for weeks, months, years, um, without breaking down, because if all you do is keep getting injured, you know, and 
keep having injuries that's related to your nutrition, it doesn't matter how much training you're putting in and how good it is, you can't stay healthy. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to nutrition, it can be a very confusing and complex area for a lot of people. If someone is in an injury cycle, can't really get out of it, thinks after this conversation it might be something nutrition related, what are some things that they can start looking at or start focusing that they're getting into their bodies that could um, give like give them a nutritional boost or a, not even a caloric boost, but just get those proper nutrients in them? Um, I would have to say, I mean, if it was like, if you're just going to pick one thing, it's really the amino acids are huge because as you know, I mean, they're basically the building blocks for damn near everything in our you know body, um, especially from the standpoint of muscle recovery and muscle growth and strength. Um, you know, it's what allows kids to develop and, you know, grow from the time they're in the womb and then beyond. So you'll see a lot of times, especially in, um, you know, vegan athletes, vegetarian athletes, and nothing wrong with that. You know, I don't have anything against that. I think it's great if that's what you want to do. But if you go that route, you really need to ensure that you're addressing those nutrients that you can't get from just vegetables alone or fruits alone. Um, you know, a lot of the amino acids come only from, you know, uh, animal products. So if you want to go the vegan route or something, then you obviously would need to supplement. And I think what what happens is a lot of times athletes just cut it out all of a sudden overnight, right? So they they see a documentary or they see whatever and they say, okay, I'm done with meat. I'm not eating any more animal products. And they just now completely cut out probably the vast majority of where they were getting those nutrients from. So if you're not going to replace them with something else, then you're really doing yourself a disservice. And, um, this is big with women and it's not just even the ones that don't go the vegetarian route, they just don't eat enough calories or they don't get enough of the right calories and the right, um, nutrients from the foods they do eat. So they're deficient in something. Um, and I would say amino acids is a huge one. Uh, nine times out of 10, like the women I work with, if they constantly having stress fractures or constantly having injuries, um, if they just start supplementing with, you know, your typical branch chain amino acids, creatine, taurine, things like that, then they nine times out of 10 can see big improvements from what I've seen over the years. Do you have much resistance with your athletes uh, for eating healthy fats? Just being that most are probably still in the age group that you and I were where it's like, fats are bad, fats are bad, fats are bad. And so it's a lot of breaking these myths and beliefs in people, I think, when it comes to eating healthy fats. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, for years, everything was just fat was the enemy and fat was bad. And, you know, obviously if you go research that, you can kind of tie it into, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that shows that when the, you know, sugars came around and like sugar was easy produced and it was easily available, then fat was bad because, you know, everybody wanted to sell, you know, in the, uh, food, uh, manufacturing business wanted to sell their, you know, cheap, easy made, um, products, which all contain sugar, you know, um, cause nine times out of 10, if you're eating something for taste, you either add fat to it or you add uh, sugar to it. Right. So, um, fat got a bad label, you know? And so it was always, well, if it has fat in it, then it's gotta be bad where that really, 
I mean, as far as I'm concerned, has hurt so many, not just people in general, but specifically athletes, because, um, you know, you're putting in huge amounts of training and volume that the average person isn't, isn't at all, you know, so you need those fats to, in order to, uh, perform, you know, without them, it's, it's near impossible to perform up to your potential. So, um, you know, I think there was too much emphasis and now it's almost the other way where, you know, Oh, everything's fine. Cause keto and fat's great. And, um, but stay away from all carbohydrates, carbohydrates and sugars. Um, so I think now we're almost on the other side of that spectrum. So it's like, it's good that everybody's adding in the fat again, but now they're cutting out everything else on the other side of it, um, which can also cause problems. Yeah, it definitely can. And I think, I think it's good to point out, which I think you did there. Um, but just to reiterate is that we do need as athletes, especially as endurance athletes, we need both carbs and fats. Um, yes, we want those carbs in us, but we also like the fats are what really sustain us for those long-term um, periods throughout our races and throughout our training. So getting both is super important. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's just like different muscle fiber types, you know, in terms of slow twitch, fast twitch. Um, it goes the same with how your body um, metabolizes the different uh, macronutrients. And you can, t you can teach your body obviously to be better fat adapted where it burns a higher percentage of fat versus glycogen, um, you know, sugars based on intensity and you can get better and better at it. But regardless how good you get at it, once you go over like your threshold, normally your aerobic threshold and stuff, you, you have no choice, but to really start burning more sugars. I mean, it's just the way the body was designed. So, um, you know, more so because back in history, it was more that fight or, you know, uh, fight or flight response. You needed those carbohydrates and that glycogen in the muscles to put you through a hard, you know, get away from a dinosaur, get away from whatever, you know, um, nowadays we're doing it by signing up for a race and we want to run fast. So, you know, um, the body doesn't know any different, you know, it doesn't know that you're racing. It's assuming that you're running from something, you know, for survival. So it's going to try to preserve that glycogen and use it as much as possible. But if you burn through it, you burn through it, you know, there's no, it's hard to replace if you're not taking in other carbohydrates on the fly. So yeah, I definitely think they both have their place and depending on what kind of training you're doing and what type of athlete you are, you're going to want to consume more of one versus the other, you know, depending what it is you're training for or racing. Yeah, absolutely. From a functional standpoint and a main, uh, maintaining your endurance standpoint, how much do you put an emphasis on electrolyte supplementation or do you? I don't put a ton of emphasis on it because it comes back to the nutrition thing. If you're eating right and you're actually eating um, well, then you get pretty much all the electrolytes you need. And I think that people sometimes get in this panic that, oh my gosh, I got to have electrolytes. And they actually take in more than they need. And then you start having other issues. You see that a lot with uh, in the ultra world where people will take in too much uh, salt, too much sodium, or flush out you know, what they have by drinking too much and hydrating too much. And they get the puffy hands and the, you know, hyponatremia and everything. So it's, electrolytes are clearly important. Your body needs them 100% for all, you know, the electrical functions in the body. But if you're eating a good clean diet and um, taking that in, you, you pretty much can get it from, you know, natural sources. You don't, you know, obviously if it's really hot and you're training in like humid 
hot conditions where you're sweating a lot more um, than you typically would, then yeah, you may want to supplement a bit. But I think people get, you know, too crazy with it where, you know, if they're in an ultra event, say a 24 hour event, they're taking four or five salt tabs every single hour, along with drinking uh, sports drink that have the electrolytes in it. And now they're just over flooding their body with it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. There's, I mean, yeah, electrolytes are important. Um, but yeah, maintaining that balance is super important as well. Yeah, because it's, I mean, the, it's, the body does a really good job of kind of self-regulating. So if you're, as long as you've got sufficient um, intake, then it's going to use them as needed. But then again, like when you are overloading it, then the body has to try to figure out and it'll start dumping it more because it's trying to get rid of it, you know, because the body is really smart. The problem is we kind of get in our own way sometimes and uh, think that we know more than what it does and try to like psych it out or do what we read in the magazine somewhere before we really know what works for us. We are very good at getting away of our body's functions. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. To kind of start closing it out, anything we haven't talked about when it comes to injured athletes that you feel is super important to bring up? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, the big one is, and I, I when we talked uh, on Friday, you know, I don't think a lot of coaches mention it, especially male coaches, but working with women and the whole Reds, you know, syndrome, um, I think that's a big one in the endurance world. And, uh, you know, a lot of it obviously comes from, obviously, inadequate nutrition, but then the training volume is so high that, you know, the female athlete will lose a lot of body fat. And whether they want to hear it or not, you know, women obviously need a decent amount of body fat just for typical function. Um, and it's not to say that obviously women can't um, train and function the same as men can, but, you know, through evolution, their body wasn't necessarily meant to be endurance athletes. So they hold on to fat more and they need to for that reason. So when you start cutting it all out, that's when you start seeing a lot of these injuries happen, um, the lost periods um, that really kind of expedites the whole aging process a lot for women when they go months or years with missed um, you know, cycles and it starts causing all sorts of issues. And almost every woman I've ever coached that I've seen that's had a stress fracture was in that, you know, whether they were technically diagnosed or not, they was in that REDS uh, syndrome where they'd cut body fat too much, their nutrition wasn't supporting their training, and it leads to stress fractures, um, low iron, uh, you know, hemoglobin um, numbers really bad. So it's just, I, I think that's the main one that I think women really need to look at and make sure that and it happens with men too but um it's mostly with women and i think they need to weigh out some of the options is it worth putting your body through that and causing long-term health issues just for better performance because you can still perform just as well but it's going to take a little bit more effort you know to do it the right way yeah absolutely i can i definitely dealt with uh, my my fair number of stress fractures when I was in high school and college. And I attribute some of it to how I was running my actual technique, but a lot of me wonders nutritionally kind of where I was at at that point and, and how much it was related to that. So yeah, there's definitely, definitely a component there, especially because thinking back to, I definitely had the ir irregular menstrual cycles and, and all that. So um, there's definitely a lot that that plays on with that combination for sure. 
yeah, and I, like I said, I just, you know, any athlete that I have and, you know, it's kind of at first a, you know, touchy subject, but like once they open up, it's nice and, you know, they, they know I have their health and well-being, you know, I put that first before performance and I always will, um, you know, like I always tell my high school girls, like I'd rather you be healthy your whole career and maybe, you know, yeah, you could have ran 30 seconds faster in the 5k maybe, but you're healthy, you're strong you're not burnt out, you're not injured, you know, and you actually still love to run 15, 20 years from now. So, you know, I'll always put the athlete's health before I, you know, performance, you know. Yeah, that's why coach is so important because the athlete is so focused on that next race, whereas we as coaches think that are looking at that long longevity picture. Absolutely. Um, just to back, or not really backtracks, but to clarify, for those who haven't heard of Reds, what actually is that? So it's the triangle, right? I mean, it's typically, um, you know, happens a lot. And it's, you know, for females, obviously, coin for females. But, you know, you, the, the low body fat, obviously, a woman getting, you know, typically, I think it's, I don't know if they set a number, but I believe it's like when a woman starts getting below 10% body fat, which is really low for a woman. Um, lost menstrual cycle, uh, you know, iron levels being really low, um, which almost always leads to stress fractures. So it's just kind of like the triad of all this stuff that's happening um, in a female's body that eventually the body just can't recover and repair itself enough to function the way it's supposed to. And it ends up leading to injuries or just complete like insane fatigue. I mean, some, some athletes may never get injured. They may not get a stress fracture, but they run themselves into such a deep hole that some never really bounce back. You know, some, some takes years to bounce back and it really only happens when they back completely away from training and, you know, get their uh, nutrition back dialed in and start putting some weight on again and get their period back. Um, Cause obviously, I mean, through time and in every species, you know, the female body was meant to, you know, for childbearing and that's kind of its job and it's supposed to have this menstrual cycle. And when it doesn't, I mean, you start getting osteoporosis. I mean, it's just, it's, it's awful. I mean, you know, you see a lot of gymnasts. I mean, it's bad with them too. And some of these 20 year old gymnasts, like they go in and they get their bone density checked and they get told that their bones look like a 70 year old woman and they're 20, you know? Um, and that's all a factor because of the, the, the red syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that clarification. Dennis, if someone wants to reach out to you, has more questions, or just wants to know more about the Endurance Project, where can they find you? Yeah, so Endurance Project on uh, Facebook or Instagram, um, and pretty much, yeah, that's it. I mean, you, you know, social media, um, I'm out there on that. Endurance Project, it's, you know, for um, – there's Endurance Project athletes page, and then, like I said, on Instagram, it's Endurance Project underscore dweb which is wep um so that's it and like i said i've got three other coaches that work with me three of my female female athletes um you had callie on last week i believe but callie schweikart um and Alyssa holly and uh, morgan schultzer three of my top female athletes but they're also all three coaches and stuff in their own right so um, i brought them in to obviously help with different aspects of training but also to try to help me navigate more of the women athletes and um, open some doors for maybe some women athletes that maybe would prefer uh, another female coach versus a male coach. So I brought them in to help me with that. And um, you can find them all on um, Instagram, social media as well. 
Um, they're all pretty popular in the sport. So, um, like I said, if you're not looking to get coached by me or, you know, want to get a different coach's perspective uh, other than mine, then reach out to either one of them too. And I'm actually going to be getting both of them on my podcast coming up as well. So that'll be fun. Oh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. And that concludes this week's episode of Highly Functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe, as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.